week I made a promise to you that I was not going to do a sermon series on the woman at the well. Uh, this week, I have a confession to make. I lied. Uh, but don't worry, this is only going to be three weeks long. I think it's, it's so worth camping out on this particular story because it touches so powerfully on our deepest desires and our deepest longings and the ways that, that Jesus meets those needs. So if you weren't here last week, no worries. Just, just kind of a, a brief recap, a, a review. Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. And if you know anything about Samaritans and the Jews, they did not like each other. Like, they did not get along at all. We're talking worse than a Packers-Vikings rivalry or Osakis Sox Center, right? Like, they did not get along at all. And so to even talk to a Samaritan, especially a Samaritan woman, would have just been like crazy. You, did, you didn't do that. So Jesus, when he comes to the well, he actually has a conversation with her. And when he's doing this, he's breaking all sorts of norms about the people that you're supposed to associate with, and, and they're considered unclean, but not for Jesus. And through this conversation with the woman, we discover that she's got an awful lot of brokenness and pain in her past. She's been married five times. She's been married five times. And to experience the loss of a marriage is painful in and of itself to have it happen once. She's having, it's happened five times. And in addition, the, woman, the, the man that she's living with right now is not her husband. Now, maybe this was just to survive. Remember, women in that time had no real rights of their own. But Jesus meets her right where she's at in the midst of her pain and trauma, and he gives her three things. He gives her a place to belong, a wound to be healed, and a sin to be forgiven. She has her sin. He comes with this word of forgiveness. And those three things are what we long for as well, a place to belong, a wound to be healed, and a sin to be forgiven. So this conversation, which started out just about physical water, right? Like Jesus is asking this woman to give him a drink. Turns out then it's not just about H2O. We're not just concerned about our physical needs. But Jesus is using that to point to something deeper and to say, you actually have a deeper spiritual need here. You long for living waters, and only I can satisfy that. So that was last week. And today our story continues Jesus' disciples, they had just gone into town. This well is kind of outside the, the town of Sychar, maybe like half a mile or so. So they ran into town. Jesus was hungry. They were going to get him some food. Uh, maybe they went to Halal Guys or something like that. I don't know. But according to the Greek, uh, it would have been Chipotle. Um, that is not true. But Jesus uses this as an opportunity to talk about more than food. So I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. And this is the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I'll read verses 30 through 38. It says, They went out of town and were coming to him. This is the Samaritans after the woman had, had gone to their town to kind of evangelize about Jesus. And they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning and we want you to meet us here, the way that you met this woman at the well, the way that you met your disciples there, God. We have so much that we <laughs> confess we do not understand, so much that we don't know, so much that we need. I pray that we would learn to trust in you as the source of living waters and, and the bread of heaven. Speak to our hearts this morning, God. Reveal how much we need you and then point us toward the Savior. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So this week, uh, it was pretty exciting. I actually discovered a new word, cell phone zombie. Have you heard this term before? Or smartphone zombie, same thing, right? Uh, you know, it doesn't really need a lot of explaining, but what the word is, is used to mean is, you know, basically the people that as you're walking around out on the street, you're, you know, kind of lost in your smartphone and you're not really paying attention to the, the people around you or what's, what's going on. And interestingly enough, this has become a real safety hazard, like in places around the world. So according to one news outlet, officials in Austria have decided to cover lamp posts in Salzburg with airbags because of smartphone zombies who keep injuring themselves while walking around the city. Reports tell us that the number of people who are injuring themselves walking into lampposts while checking their smartphone is on the rise, forcing city officials to implement safety measures. According to one official, the lamppost airbags are necessary because in terms of accidents, 40% of the injured pedestrians were hurt because they were distracted at the time of injury. Quote, we are of the opinion that when people see this very public warning in the form of lamppost airbags of the dangers of not paying attention, they will change their behavior, he said. This is kind of amusing, but it's also a little bit sad. And the reason that I share this with you isn't because I hate iPhones or something like that. It has nothing to do with technology. The reason I share this with you is because this is an illustration of the default posture of the human heart. Rather than walk through life with our eyes up, we keep our eyes down, fixed on our own needs rather than the needs of those around us. By nature, human beings, we're, we, we tend to be inward-focused rather than outward-focused. And so spiritually speaking, we're kind of like these cell phone zombies. Spiritually speaking, we're walking around like this in our hearts, watching what's going on in our lives and concerned about how everything affects me and what do I need and, and what's best for me. This is, what's human, this is human nature because we think our preferences and our desires should be number one priority, right? If you don't believe me, just attend any town hall meeting anywhere that has ever been done right? Like decisions, we care deeply about how those affect us personally. 
But in our text today, Jesus invites us to take a new posture, a different kind of posture. He invites us to look not down, but up. Look, I tell you, he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Lift up your eyes, right? Eyes up. Eyes up. That's the posture we as a church, both individually and corporately as a body, should have. So let me ask you, where are your eyes? Where are you looking? Where are our eyes, Elam? Are our eyes down in the weeds and our own needs and preferences and comfort zones? Or are they up seeing the fields ripe for harvest? Jesus is a master storyteller. I love the way that he tells these, these stories in these these parables. He, he doesn't so much come up to the front, you know, with a, with a lectern and here's my, my thesis and my three points. No, Jesus just, like, he's just really, really good at telling stories. And this isn't officially a story here, but he uses a, a lot of imagery, specifically agricultural imagery, to illustrate a deeper spiritual truth. And this is a farming area, right? Agriculture. So he's going to use that kind of language. Now, Here's how farming works. You're going to want to write this down. You plant a seed. The seed grows. You harvest the crop. That's all there is to farming, guys, right? Am I, am I missing anything? I don't know why everybody's like, this is hard. I don't, I don't know what to like, It's complicated. That's all you do, right? No. Don't listen to the non-farmer up here. But uh, the seed of God's word, this is essentially what happens. God's word gets sown like this seed. And some of these seeds sprout into fully mature crops ready to be harvested. Now, in Israel, they grew a lot of barley and wheat, and the grain became bleached and dried in the blazing desert sun. That's what Jesus means when he says the fields are white. White just means they're ripe. It means they're, they're ready. God has been working to grow the seed of the gospel in people's hearts and minds, and many, many, many people are actually ready to believe. So God sends us, his church, out into the harvest fields to actually participate in this gathering, in this, in this harvest. Here's what this means for you, very just practically speaking. There are people around you each and every day, people you encounter who don't know Jesus. Now, that might seem abundantly clear, but what's not always clear to us is that some of those people are actually white for the harvest. Right? Some of these souls are ready to believe. Remember, we're not the first ones on the scene whenever we encounter another human being. We, we'd like to, to kind of think that, but God has actually been at work in people's lives. Right, His kingdom is already here. Jesus is on the loose. He has been at work in the hearts and minds of the people we encounter, maybe for a long time. And the harvest is white. The question is, do we have eyes up to see it? Where are your eyes? Where are our eyes? Do we have the eyes of missionaries to see beyond our own needs? One thing about this story that's crystal clear is how urgent the missionary task is, how important it is for us to see ourselves as God's missionaries right now in the places where we live, work, and play. 
There's this, this really powerful image that Jesus paints in verse 36. It's not abundantly clear right off the bat, but let's look at this a minute. Verse 36, he says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now, the idea here is that there's not really a gap between the sower and the reaper. Now, that sounds weird, because in real life, there is. There's maybe like, what, a five, six-month gap between sowing and harvest seasons. But spiritually speaking, Jesus says that as fast as the crop is planted, it's ready to be harvested, right? So picture this. You've got your field. You're driving your tractor out there. You're, you're planting the seed. And immediately, so you've got your tractor, planter, and immediately following behind the planter is a combine. And this combine, I know most of you are thinking, man, this guy's really not a farmer. Well, I'm just the, the messenger here. This is the image Jesus is painting, is that the combine is actually harvesting like these fully grown crops almost as fast as they're being planted. And he's drawing on imagery from the Old Testament prophet Amos, Amos 9, 13 through 15. He says, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seeds. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Basically, the combine is catching up to the planter. And Jesus' whole point is just this. Lift up your eyes. Guys, the, the harvest is here, and the fields are ready. So here's my question. Do we believe that? Like, do we believe it enough to put some skin in the game? Do we have eyes up to see what God is doing in the lives of our friends, our family, and coworkers? Do we have eyes up to notice the single mom next door struggling just to raise a family? Do we have eyes up to see the classmate who has a really, really rough home life and desperately needs to experience the love of Jesus? Do we have eyes up to see not just the needs of our existing church, but the needs of those we hope to see walk through those doors? Are we stuck in the weeds of our old ways of doing things, old ministry patterns and programs that we continue doing just because that's the way we've always done it and we don't like change? Or are we willing to raise our heads above the weeds for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to risk trying something new for Jesus' sake, even if it means giving up some of our beloved traditions to reach the culture around us? Man, that's hard. Isn't that hard? I dislike change as much as the next guy. More, probably. I've driven the same car for almost 15 years. 
I'm kind of a curmudgeon at heart. I like to think a, a lovable curmudgeon. We can talk about that after the service. But uh, Friends, do we have eyes up, not just where we are now, but where we are going? Or are we functioning more like cell phone zombies? Where are our eyes, and can we open them to see the exciting possibilities where God might be leading us? So let's go back to Jesus and the disciples at the well. Even as Jesus is giving this little missionary pep talk to his disciples, they're seeing his words actually come true right before their very eyes because the Samaritans from the nearby town of Sychar, which is, again, about half a mile away, they're coming out to the well. So when Jesus says the fields are white for harvest, he's not just talking theoretically. Like, look, here comes a whole bunch of white wheat walking along and coming toward you even, even now. And they want to hear more about Jesus, the source of living waters and the bread of life. But I think my favorite part of Jesus' talk is the very last verse, verse 38. Listen to this again. Jesus says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Man, the good news of the gospel is that the heavy lifting has already been done. We're just entering into the labors of those who have come before us. But even more foundationally, we are entering into the finished work of Jesus Christ who accomplished everything necessary for our salvation at the cross when he said, it is finished. It's not our own effort or zeal that produces the harvest, but God himself. We don't have to bake the bread of heaven or conjure up the living waters. We just got to tell people, hey, come and see. Come and drink. Come and, and taste for yourselves. Isaiah 55.1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Entering into the labors of others. I love that phrase. The truth is that we all stand on the shoulders of spiritual giants. Maybe you have a mentor, someone in your life, a parent, a grandparent, whose faith you can kind of trace your own back to. There's an example for you. But the reality is that none of us is an island. And here at Elam, we have a rich spiritual heritage. If you don't know, this church was founded in 1899, and the original building was built somewhere around 1902. And at the heart of this church is a missionary zeal, a passion for unreached people to experience the love of God. We actually supported missionaries like since the very beginning. There have been missionaries that have gone out from this church. In other words, eyes up. Like that was the posture of Elam's founders, and that continues to this day. Just like the well in Samaria, Elam, if you know anything about that name, Elam, it was a desert oasis surrounded by 12 springs and 70 palm trees in the middle of the desert. So here's the question. 
How can we be a place where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment? How can we be an eyes-up church? How can we be an eyes-up church? Friends, my prayer for us as individual Christians and as a church body is that God would continue to lift our eyes from the weeds to see not just where we are now, but where He would like us to be. How can we best position ourselves to reach an ever-changing culture with the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ? How can we invite others to join us in this journey of faith as we seek to rest in the gospel, to grow in Christ, and to love our community? Because, man, the, the harvest is plentiful. The fields are ripe. So eyes up, church, because God is always on the move. He's always up to something new. And the mission that He has us on, His mission to redeem a lost and broken world cannot fail. Because Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray.